Good morning to the second week of our Love Can series. Uh, this morning, I, um, I have a very simple message for us today, and I want to begin it with a, a story about a, na- a man named Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan Manning is an author. Uh, he is a born-again believer who travels around the world and has spoken to thousands of people about the love of God. Brennan Manning, you see a photo of him up there. Uh, he wrote a book called The Furious Longing of God. And I'm going to let him tell his story, a portion of his story in his own words. And he writes this. He says, for 21 years, I tried desperately to become Mother Teresa. I lived around the world in griming poverty and depersonalizing squalor. I lived voluntarily for six months in the garbage dump in Juarez, Mexico. Garbage there as high as your ceilings. It was a place filled with everyone from four and five-year-old children to senior citizens in their 80s, all crawling over broken whiskey bottles and dead animals just to find something to eat or possibly to sell to hawkers alongside the road. I've lived voluntarily as a prisoner in a Swiss prison. The warden there believed that priests shouldn't be chaplains but actual prisoners. Only the warden knew my identity. I've lived on the streets of New York City with 11, 12, and 13-year-old prostitutes, both boys and girls, and ministered to them through the Covenant House. I just knew if I could become a replica of Mother Teresa, then God would love me. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah, right, he writes. That's just a part of who I am. The rest of Brennan Manning is a bundle of paradoxes and contradictions. I love and I hate. I feel better about feeling good. I feel guilty if I don't feel guilty. I'm wide open and I'm locked in. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. That is some of the rest of Brennan Manning. Ironically, it was April Fool's Day, 1975 at 6.30 a.m. and I woke woke up in a doorway on Commercial Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was thick in an alcoholic fog, sniffing vomit all over my sweater and staring down at my bare feet. I didn't know a wino would steal my shoes during the night to buy a bottle of Thunderbird, but one did. I had been out on the street for a year and a half, drunk every day, sleeping on the beach until the cops chased me away. You could find me in doorways or under the bridge, always clutching my precious little bottle of tequila. And it wasn't just that this good Franciscan uh, priest, excuse me, drank too much. I broke every one of the Ten Commandments six times Tuesday. Adultery, countless acts of fornication, violence to support my addiction, character assassination to anybody who dared to criticize me or remonstrate with me. The morning I woke up in the alcoholic boozy fog, I looked down the street to see a woman coming towards me maybe 25 years old, blonde and attractive. She had her son in hand, maybe four years old. The boy broke loose from his mother's grip and ran to the doorway and stared down at me. And his mother rushed in behind him, tucked her hand over his eyes and said, Don't look at that filth. That's nothing but pure filth. I felt her shoe. She broke two of my ribs with that kick. That filth was Brennan Manning, 32 years ago, and the God I've come to know by sheer grace, the Jesus I met in the grounds of my own self, has furiously loved me regardless of my state, 
grace or disgrace. And why? For his love is never, never, never based on our performances, never conditioned by our moods of elation or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration or change. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, for I am convinced. Are you convinced this morning? For I am convinced, Paul wrote, that neither death nor life. I did a funeral yesterday for a 27-year-old girl. And I read this passage. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that this morning? Nothing can separate us from his love. I want to talk to you today about how love can bless the broken. Love can bless the broken. Last week, we looked at the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. Today, we're going to look at the actual beginning of Jesus's ministry on earth. And we're in Luke chapter four, verse number 13 this morning. Luke four thirteen. the Bible says this. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And he taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And let me pause for a moment. He is now quoting a portion of Isaiah 61, which is a messianic prophetic scripture. And Jesus begins to read verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me. That word anointed is closely connected with Messiah. He has anointed me. In other words, he is declaring, I am the Messiah. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Some of you are going to be freed today in Jesus' name. That the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor, some of you need to hear this, has come. In another translation, it says uh, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This originally referred to the year of Jubilee that you can read about in Leviticus 25. But in this context, it applies to the end time fulfillment of Jesus's ministry. Jesus is saying the favorable year of the Lord has come or God's favor on the earth has come. And what's interesting is, is Jesus at that point, he omits uh, another portion of Isaiah 61 and he omits the portion that says this and the day of vengeance of our God. The acceptable year of the Lord has come. The time of God's favor has come, but he omits out the portion and the day of vengeance of our God. How many of you know the day of vengeance will come? It did not come in the first coming. What came in the first coming? Favor. 
What's coming in the second coming? Judgment of God. And so Jesus declares the favor of God is being poured out. In verse number 20, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. He said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Another translation says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what this is, is it speaks of the end time fulfillment of the promise of the coming of the kingdom of God. Which is now present in Jesus. The kingdom of God is the focus of Jesus's preaching. It is the reign of God in men's hearts now and will be consummated over the earth as it is in heaven in the end. The kingdom of God, God's rule and reign is in our hearts now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is now within you if you're born again. So the kingdom of God is now, the rule and reign of God is now in our hearts now. How many of you, God rules and reigns in your heart right now, right? And someday God will rule and reign throughout the entire earth where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus here in this passage, he is announcing he's Messiah. He's launching his public ministry. It is a ministry to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed. It is a ministry where God is releasing his favor upon the earth. It's a ministry where God is blessing those who are broken. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus blessed the broken, not those who had it all together. Can I tell you, if you're not broken today or if you're not living in a state of brokenness, there's no blessing for you. Some of you are going. Some of you, listen, all of us in the room are broken. Not everybody knows it, but all of us are broken here this morning. And the doors to the kingdom are flung wide open here to the sick, to the sad, the uneducated, the unpretty, to the picked on, to the beaten, to the socially awkward, to the homeless, to the pushers, to the dealers, the con artists, the killers, to the addicted or the emotionally unstable. And to you and I this morning, the kingdom of God, God's favor on the earth has come. I've got good news for you this morning. If you're broken, you're in a place to be blessed. You're in a place to be blessed. Broken people can become some of the most blessed people on the face of the earth. And what I've come to realize is is that broken people, they can either be blessed or they can be bitter. Hard times can make you hard or hard times can make you soft towards the grace of God. You know, the Bible says this in Psalm 34, 18, it says the Lord is close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Because your brokenness is not on the outside. Your brokenness is on the inside. And God wants you to know this morning that that he is close to you. He is Close to those who are honest about their brokenness. And he wants to save those who are crushed in spirit. Over the last several months, I find myself saying to myself and to my wife and to my doctor and to my mentors. And I'm saying things like this. There's something wrong with me. There's something broken. 
I don't know what it is, but on the inside of me, I feel like there's something broken. There's there's something that's not right. I don't know what it is. And and I've battled discouragement. I've battled depression in the past. And maybe that's part of it. But I know this. There's something in me that's broken. There's something in me that that's not right. And I don't know how to explain it. And all of you are trying to diagnose my condition and go for it. But I know this, I'm broken. There's something in me. And here's what happens when you're broken. There, there is this, and this is what I've experienced. There is a nearness to God that I have experienced. There's a, there's a closeness because the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18. He's close to those who are brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so I thank God for this sense of brokenness going on inside of me. Uh, Listen, if if you get to the place where you're fixed and you have it all together, there's no room for God. There's no room for God. And so God bless us with the revelation of our brokenness. Let's walk with a limp. Jacob wrestled with God. And he wanted the blessing. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God touched his hip and it it, it popped his hip out of joy. And he left walking with a limp. He left with this this limp. He left with this this brokenness. He left with this dependence on God. Paul was given a thorn in his flesh. It was a messenger from Satan, right? And and God said, and, and, and I'm sorry, and Paul said, Lord, take this away from me. Take it away. He prayed three times. And God said, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. I don't understand that. Because I know that when God blesses us, he sometimes when he, when he blesses broken people, he actually heals broken people. He delivers the oppressed. He sets captives free. He changes your condition. He changes your circumstances. But I do know this, that you can also be blessed in your brokenness. You can be blessed in your brokenness. But to be blessed, we have to be real. We have to be transparent. About our brokenness a number of years ago when our our middle child, Sam, he was he was just learning how to walk. He was, I don't know, just over a year old and he's just learning how to walk. And we noticed he wasn't putting weight on one of his little legs and and he would he would kind of walk around, crawl on and just drag that leg. And we knew there was something wrong with that leg. So Carrie took Sam to the pediatrician and she goes, there's something wrong with Sam's leg. And, and he felt the leg and he squeezed it. And, and Sam didn't squirm, didn't scream, didn't cry. And so doctor said, man, I don't think this leg's broke. I think it's fine. And I, he said, just give it some time. So we came home and several days later, you know, Sam's still dragging that leg around the house. Little kid's dragging his leg around the house. And my wife says, we've got to figure out what's wrong with this leg. So she took Sam to the emergency room and she said, would you please take an x-ray of my son's leg? There's something wrong with his leg. And so they take him out and they give get this x-ray done and um, child protective services walks into the room (laughs) and starts asking my wife all these questions. You know, um, how did your son hurt his leg? I don't know. Did he fall? I don't know. Did you drop him accidentally? Uh, I don't think so. Right. And so they're just doing their job, making sure that, you know, we're not abusive parents. But it was it was concerning. It was a stressful moment there. And finally, the doctor comes back in with this x-ray and says, your son's leg is broken. And it's been broken for a number of weeks. 
And then once he, you know, he said that, what did he do? Did he say, just take him home, he'll be fine? No, he put a cast around that leg. And, and, and God wants to put a cast around your brokenness. But sometimes, first, there has to be that picture, that image that, hey, it's broken. I don't know how it got broken. I'm not sure what happened, but it's broken. And and when we admit our brokenness, that's when God can wrap his arms around that brokenness and begin the healing process. It's time we take on what some counselors and psychologists call the, the other F word, the other four letter F word, and it's the word fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Right. End of conversation. Right. We say that to one another all the time in casual conversation. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. Fine could mean a number of things. Right. Fine could mean I don't really have time to do more than say hello to you right now. Right. It's like in the hallway, you know, in the lobby after church, you're trying to get to the shuttle or trying to get to the parking lot or trying to get to your kids. How are you doing? I'm fine. I don't really have time to say hello, talk to you right now. Fine can mean I don't actually think you're interested in how I'm really doing. Fine can mean I don't want to risk our relationship by telling you how I'm really feeling right now. I'm fine. Right. Reminds me of the story about Farmer Joe. Farmer Joe decided that his injuries from the accident that he was in were serious enough to take the trucking company to court, the trucking company that was responsible for his accident. And in court, the trucking company's fancy lawyer was questioning Farmer Joe. Didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine, questioned the lawyer. And Farmer Joe responded, well, Let me tell you what happened. I just loaded my favorite mule, Betsy, onto the... I didn't ask for any details, the lawyer interrupted. Just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Joe said, well, I just got Betsy onto the trailer and I was driving down the road. The lawyer interrupted again, said, Judge, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, the man told the highway patrolman that he was just fine. Now, several weeks after the accident, he's trying to sue my client, and I believe he's a fraud. Please tell him to simply answer the question. Well, by this time, the judge was fairly interested in Farmer Joe's answer, and he said to the lawyer, I'd like to hear just what he has to say about his favorite mule, Betsy. (laughs) Joe thanked the judge, and he proceeded. As I was saying, Judge... Uh, I had just loaded Betsy, my favorite mule, into the trailer, and we were driving down the highway when this huge semi-truck slammed into the side of my truck. And I was thrown into one ditch, and Betsy was thrown into the other ditch. And, Judge, I was hurting real bad, and I didn't want to move. However, I could hear old Betsy moaning and groaning in that other ditch. And I knew she was in terrible shape just by her groans. Well, at that point, the uh, highway patrolman showed up on the scene and he could hear Betsy just moaning and groaning. So he went over to her and he looked at her and he took out his gun and he shot old Betsy right between the eyes. Then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand and he looked at me (laughs) and he said, your mule was in such bad shape. I had to shoot her. How you feeling? (laughs) It was at that point, judge, that I said, I'm just fine. (laughs) so what's amazing is the one thing that fine almost never means is fine 
right? Fine is a conversational cover-up. It's a socially acceptable lie that we all tell concerning things I have no intention of revealing in the context of this brief meeting. All right? Imagine asking the thief on the cross, how you doing up there? I'm fine. What are you doing? Just hanging out, you know? So why are you up there? I'm innocent, man, right? Is that what he said? No, the Bible says he said this. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. See, that's what being honest about your brokenness will do for you. It will take you to places in God that you could never go without being honest. Jesus can't bless something unless it's broken. We need to find a different answer than fine. The other day I was walking through the hall, the lobby, and you know, everybody's always asking, how you doing? And I thought, you know, I've got to come up with another answer. So I said, I'm broken. And they kind of looked at me. They didn't know what to do with that, you know? And then I just kept going. I thought, you know, I'm just going to be honest, you know? I don't have to tell them what it is, why, or anything else. I just, you know... And so I find myself, you know, maybe giving some maybe more honest answers like, you know, I'm broken or I'm walking by faith. How many of you are in that place? You're not walking by your sight, how you're feeling. You're literally walking by faith right now in your life. And if somebody says, hey, how are you doing? You can say, you know, I'm learning to walk by faith and leave it at that. Or it could be you say, and I said this the other day, uh, they said, how are you doing? And I said, uh, I said, I am weak. But he is strong. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm not trying to give this. I'm blessed and highly favored, which is true. Right. But when people are asking you, you know, how are you doing? They're saying, you know, what's going on in your life right now? And I know you don't just pour out your heart to anybody. Right. See, that's where dogs are for. See, dogs are great. They're man's best friend because they they wag their tail and not their tongue. You know, they're wonderful animals in that way. So there's somebody, though, that you can be honest and transparent with. We use social media to dress up our lives and to fun up our profiles. Social media has generated an affliction, and it's called FOMO, a fear of missing out. In fact, the word FOMO was officially added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013. And FOMO, fear of missing out, means this. Anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be occurring uh, or happening elsewhere. And it's often aroused by posts seen on social media. FOMO, the fear of missing out. So when we see a uh, friend's vacation pictures on Instagram, I look at my wife and we go, you know, what are we doing wrong? You know, they they got this great life. What are we doing wrong? Or when we see somebody's Facebook posting about their cute little dog and how obedient their dog is, I turn to my wife. I say, our dog is demon possessed. Something is wrong with our dog. Uh, do you, do you ever do that? You look at me, that. What, what, what's going on there? Or I read the uh, the breathtaking 140 character Twitter creeds, right? They're they're just like, wow, you read them and you go, my goodness, how'd that person get so smart and how'd I get so dumb? You know, see, we're haunted by the suspicion that people are living this incredibly blessed life where they've got it all together and we are just left out. And we begin to wonder, like, you know, did I get stuck with the wrong job? Do I have the do I have the the wrong friends? Did I marry the wrong wife? 
right? Do I have the wrong life? And we begin to do that. We begin to compare. By the way, there's even evidence going on that Facebook makes people feel depressed. Feel depressed because they're comparing their lives with somebody else. And I love what Stephen Furtick said, Pastor Stephen Furtick. He said this. He said, never compare your behind the scenes with everybody's highlight reel. So what do you do with your brokenness? You bring it to the one who said, I have come to bring favor in the earth. I have come to heal your brokenness. I have come to be close to the brokenhearted. I have come to be to be to be near those who are crushed in spirit. You bring your brokenness before Jesus. I would like the worship team to come if you would. We're not going to close the service here. We're actually going to open the altars and we're going to spend some time. As we did earlier in the service, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. And I'm going to invite you to come and I'm going to invite you to do this, to be real about your brokenness. To be real about your brokenness. Say, God, I know there's a broken place in my life. You, you might be like our son, Lee, uh, Sam, who, you know, we didn't know what was broken. We didn't know what was wrong, but we knew something was wrong. And maybe all you know is there's something wrong in your life. There's something wrong, maybe even in your heart. There's something going on and you don't have the right diagnosis. You don't know what it is, but you do know this. You know that Jesus came to bless broken people like yourself, broken people like myself, broken people like Brennan Manning. The greatest discoveries of God that you will have in your life are the times when you're broken, not when you're well. I'd like everybody to stand if you would. So let's bring our brokenness before God. Let's set aside the I'm fine and I want to move on and I want to go out and I want to get lunch. Let's just set the I'm fine aside and let's just be real for a few moments. And if that's you, just even as I speak, I want you to come to this this altar. We're just going to pray down here. We're going to bring our brokenness before God. And God is going to do what God said he would do. He's going to be close. Some of you are broken in body. Some of you are broken and your heart and your emotions are a mess. God came for you. He came for you. God, I just pray that today, while we approach you here in this way, as we draw near to you, God, that you would draw near to us. God, we invite you by your Holy Spirit We invite you into those broken places, God, into those disappointments, into those depressed areas of our life. God, we invite you into the confusion. We invite you into the temptation. We invite you into the mess. God, we invite you into the broken relationship that we're in right now. 
And God, we say this. We say, God, we are so dependent on you. God, we're feeling our weakness right now. And we ask, God, that in our moments of weakness, God, you would demonstrate your strength in this place right now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I declare the favor of God in this place right now. Jesus, come bring some good news to those who are poor in spirit. Bring some freedom to those who are captive right now in Jesus' name. God, those who are spiritually blind, I pray for open eyes right now. God, those who are oppressed, they're being tormented. God, that you, God, you would set them free right now in Jesus' name. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that the year of favor has come. The time has come. Favor of God has come. Kingdom of God has come. Kingdom of God. May the rule and reign of Jesus Christ rule and reign in every heart in this altar right now. Rule and reign in every heart. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You are far from God. You are lost in your sin. And you're ready to say, Jesus, rule and reign in my heart. Forgive me of my sin and become the Lord of my life. Rule and reign in my heart. Come forward today. Come forward today. Come in your sinful, broken condition. The Bible says, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Thank you, God. God, we invite you into our broken places right now in Jesus' name. 